worth the wait. It's worth the wait. Maybe you've heard that phrase before and you, and you actually think to yourself, is it, is it really worth the wait? When I was a little boy, uh, kindergarten and first grade, my family lived in the Central Valley of California, my dad's hometown of Reedley, and there was a pizza parlor there, uh, Valentino's Pizza. It was so cool. It was like really dark and kind of like, you know, kind of, I don't know, kind of 70s chic, had those red candles that were always flickering. My brother and I would eat the powdered Parmesan before our food came, but the problem with Valentino's was not their delicious pizza. It was amazing, but it was this. It took 30 years to get your pizza. Like I think they brought the pizza on a sailboat from Italy to California and delivered it to your table because their oven didn't go above nine degrees. It just, it was so, it took forever. It took forever. And I had this buddy, Sean Chessmore, and we were friends and we were sitting on the curb one day and I remember talking with him about our favorite pizza place, about Valentino's. And we were like, it's so good. But we were both kind of lamenting how long it took to get your pizza. I don't know if you've ever had this as a kid. You had to have. But you're like, oh, it takes so long. But kids, you live in a golden era of unlimited beverages. I didn't. When, we were, when I was little, like you would order a family pitcher of Coke or Pepsi or whatever, and it would come out and everybody gets their Coke or Pepsi. If you wanted more, it wasn't like, can I get you your 38th refill? No. You got one. And you had to nurse that thing till the pizza came. Well, if the pizza didn't come till you were in eighth grade, it was a long time. You got thirsty, and the worst was when you drank your Coke, and then the pizza came and you got water. Oh, it was the worst. But one thing Sean and I, sitting there with scuffed knees and red faces, decided on the curb that day was that it was worth the wait. We'd be like, oh, it takes so long. But once the pizza came, we're like, it's super good, though, isn't it? We loved it. It was worth the wait. Today we dive into a life who waited for something in a very painful way. Hannah's life was a life that had, I would say, kind of an inner torment to it of what she wasn't. She wasn't a mom. And in the culture of ancient Israel, having sons was like wealth. And to not be able to have children was heart-wrenching. And Hannah couldn't have children. Her husband, Elkanah, loved her so much, loved her so much. She was his favorite. And you think, of course she was his favorite because it's his wife, but this is an ancient time. And because she couldn't have children, we can kind of read into the text that that's probably why Peninnah was his other wife. And she gave him sons while Hannah couldn't. And Hannah lived with this grief and this heartache of not being able to provide sons, not being able to be a mom. And her grief and her heartache had broken her heart. Hannah's heart was broken. She longed for something she couldn't fix. And that's where we pick up our story. First Samuel chapter one, verses six through eight. It says this. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, which was in Shiloh at this time, her rival provoked her, tormented her until she wept and wouldn't eat. Her husband, Alcanus, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why are you, why don't you eat? Why are you so downhearted? Don't I mean more to you 
than 10 sons. But, but God made her wait. And what we have to do in this is understand we can learn from Hannah's broken heart. We can learn some things from Hannah's broken heart. And we should tune our hearts and our ears to her situation and start pulling truths out of this story. One of the truths that is there is this. Having a broken heart is not a sign of God's displeasure in you. I'm gonna say it again, and I want you who are hearing this to catch this with me and receive this into your heart and into your spirit. Having a broken heart is not a sign of God's displeasure in you. He's not displeased with you and giving you a broken heart. It's not a sign of his pleasure or displeasure. Actually, from the story we read today, in 1 Samuel, we realize that it was God who made her wait. It was God who made her wait. And this is a warning. And I want to speak to all of us who are penning us in this world. And, and you may think, oh yeah, I know who mine is, but here's the problem. I know that there are some people who have been a penina in my life who have tormented me a little bit and done some things. I also know this, I have been a penina. I have been hard on people. I have been wrong, and it's not been right. This is a warning to all of us. It goes out to all of us. So a warning to those who, um, who are a penina. Remember, she had many sons from Elkanah, and Hannah did not. Remember this and hold on to it, that God is in control, that it was God who chose to give her children and chose to make Hannah barren unable to bear children. That was because God had a plan, not because of anything else. It is not because Peninnah is better or more loved by God that she had children, and Hannah did not. It was because God had a plan. And we need to understand that we have to be very, very careful, be very cautious, that we don't look down on or judge people who are made to wait for something that you and I already have, right? There are people waiting for something that I have right now, and it's not that God likes me better that I have it, and they don't. That is a warning for us. Because you're not made to wait for something is not a sign that God digs you more. It, it has nothing to do with it. We have to trust that God has a plan, Whatever you have is from God, and it's for his purposes and for his glory. Don't fool yourself into arrogant, prideful justification that you can torment someone who is made to wait for that which came easily to you and think that God's okay with it and that God likes you better. That is simply not true, and this story bears it out. Actually, there is um, something cool happened. When Erica and I were working on this, we were, we were working together and kind of talking through this teaching and working on some stuff, and she said to me, I was reading Psalm 69, and there's something of that that really struck me in this. It really just stood out to me in this. 
And it's a psalm where David is pouring out his heart to God. And he's telling God that he wants God to wipe certain people off the face of the earth. They have done him wrong. They, he is hurting and he wants God to get involved and he wants God to punish them. And really what it comes down to, you're wondering like, what have these people done, right? Like if this is the judgment, what was their sin? Psalm chapter 69 Verse, uh, Psalm 69, verse 26, says this. For they, um, may their place be deserted. Let, their, let no one dwell in their tents. For they persecute those you wound and talk about the pain of those you hurt. So let's just talk about who the you is that David is speaking to. This is huge. David is saying, I want you to mop the earth with these people who have persecuted those whom you, he's saying, whom you, God, have wounded. That God has wounded them and they are persecuting them and putting their thumb in that wound and causing them grief. David wants God to like mete out vengeance on those who talk about the pain of those whom you, God, have hurt. That means this, that there are times in our life where God allows wounds. He'll, he'll open a wound on us. But it's not because he delights in the agony. He's doing something more, and we'll talk more about that later. But we need to understand that the problem David was speaking to was people who were, were tormenting others whom God had chose to wound whom God had chose to harm in some way for his purposes. And you may think that sounds cruel and indifferent, but we will find, on the contrary, it is not. It is actually a transformative process. So as much as we don't like to think of this, Scripture says it right here. Because God had closed Hannah's womb, because God had done it. God had put that wound in her life that said she would not be able to have children at this time. And she grieved and wept to the point she wouldn't eat. It was a painful reality. And the reality is we could shake our fist at God and be like, why won't you give me what I want? Why do I have to wait? But shaking our fist at God, though it feels cathartic in the instant, it is actually the, the opposite of faith. We're not meant to shake our fist at God. What we could do is learn what Hannah did. Hannah did something that was, well, we should just take a page out of her notes. Hannah poured out her heart to God. She didn't shake her fist at God. She laid herself bare before God. She laid out the wound and she named it in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. This is what it said. Once, when they had finished eating and drinking. So let me just unpack that super fast. When they were eating and drinking, this was an annual festival at the house of the Lord, and there was a party going on, a celebration. And when they had finished with the party, they were in Shiloh. When they finished with that, that's where we pick up this story. Hannah stood up. Obviously, we can infer this is one of those times when Peninnah had tormented her and been hard on her and not been a friend in any way. She had been the opposite. She had hurt her and harmed her. 
Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and she made a vow to the Lord saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will touch his head. And God heard her. God heard her prayer. And there is something, a truth to extract from this, like a gold nugget from the ground. When you cry out to God, he hears you. He's not deaf He's not turned on dad ears where you can have all this going on and hear none of it. He hears you. He is the God who hears you. Why would God need to hear Hannah pray about her heartache? Why would God need her to to pray about it? He's God. He already knows. But this teaches us something else. God did know. God had closed her womb. God had done the thing that she was crying out about. God had closed her womb. But God had a plan in the waiting. God had a plan that only waiting would bring about. And in the waiting, she gets to a point of desperation. God had a plan for the child that Hannah would bear. God had intentions in the formation of Hannah's heart to do something that is unbelievably strong. But it took waiting to build the strength. Hannah humbled herself. She came to a point of total dependence on God. We call it the miracle zone, and we've talked about this, where if God doesn't get involved, everything goes wrong. She's in a miracle zone. If God doesn't get involved, she will never bear a child in this world. If God doesn't get along, she was humbled and completely dependent on God. She was willing to pray in front of the whole community while they were eating and drinking and laughing. She was weeping bitterly in front of the house of God, calling out and caring only that God would hear her. She cared only that God would hear her. And one day, Hannah would need to carry out a seemingly impossible task for a mother to do. Had she not come to this place of complete trust, of complete reliance on who God is, she would have never been able to handle the next role that God had planned for her. A role that would not just be difficult for her and transformative for her, but it would actually be transformative for everything that followed. It would change history. And we'll talk more on that in a minute. We'll talk more on that in a minute. What we want to talk right now is Hannah believed. Hannah believed. What did she believe in? What did she believe in? What was the belief that came out of this time of prayer she had in front of the house of God? Join me in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli, the priest, observed her... Um, her mouth. He was observing her mouth moving. She was praying in her heart, but her lips were moving, but no voice was heard from her. Eli thought she was drunk. And he said, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. You know, pastoral care at its finest right there, right? How long are you going to stay drunk? And she said, not so, my Lord. 
Hannah replied, I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul, all of who I am. The Hebrew word for that is such a big word. She was pouring out all that she is. I am pouring it all out to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my anguish, my great anguish and grief. And Eli said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went on her way. She ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Remember, she hadn't been able to eat because Peninnah had needled her and tormented her and mocked her so much that she couldn't even eat. But her face was no longer downcast. And I love that aspect of this. She got up, she went back to the party and got a plate full of food and didn't look sad anymore. She probably had puffy red eyes, but she was over it. Why? Because Hannah believed. Did you notice that, that she left? When, some, when the word of God came, she got up and she left. She no longer looked sad. I think that's important. When the word of God came, she believed. And here's the reality. She wasn't pregnant yet. She had no child yet. Penina was still there at the party, eating and drinking and laughing, probably needling her, but it didn't bother her anymore because she believed. She trusted in the words of Eli. She trusted in what the priest said and had encouraged her with. Like Paul Harvey moment, right? Aren't you like, can you please tell me the rest of the story? Can you get to it and let me know what happened? Here's the cool thing. Hannah goes home and gets pregnant. Nine months later, she has a little boy. She names him Samuel. And Samuel never got a haircut. It's kind of like quarantine. (laughs) Okay, sorry. Samuel never got a haircut, right? And she would get him his little clothes like moms do. She had a little baby. She nursed him. At three to five years old, she weaned him. She put on a new little ephod, warmed for a robe, and she took him to the house of the Lord. And there she presented him to God and left him with Eli and went home. It would say that every year, Hannah, before they would go up to Shiloh, um, this one always gets me, I don't know why, um, Every year before they would go up to Shiloh to um, worship God, Hannah would um, make him a new little ephod, a new little robe. She would get him like school shopping, right? And she would get her little boy a new robe and she would get it ready and she would take it to the temple and give it to him because he didn't live with her. He lived in the vow she made. He lived at the temple with God. I mean, as a parent of a senior who our son, Erica and I's oldest son, is going away to college so far away, super not like, oh man, it's brutal. Like, we're talking about the drop-off day, and we're like, like I think we may need to take like a therapist. Like, it's going to be rough. And the dude's 18, right? He's bigger than me. He was just here threatening to wrestle me. And like, he, little, little boy. She took him and she gave him to God. She gave him to the Lord. And what we know from this is, well, she worshiped God, but she didn't worship the blessing. 
Hannah worshiped God, not the blessing. And really, where do we see her do this? When, when you say a statement like that, it has to be backed up with a real thing. And we have a real moment in time where she did this. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, it says, Hannah's prayer is the headline to it. It's a prayer she prayed when she dropped off Samuel with Eli and left him after they worshiped, they would have left him at the temple and gone back home. That's how she proves that she worshiped and trust God, not the blessing. How difficult must that have been? This is an important takeaway for us as a church. We want something quite often, and it becomes for us a lowercase kind of God, a demigod in our life. It becomes an idol. It, begins, it gets all of our attention, all of our emotion, all of our energy and thought. We wind up all our hopes and our dreams into this thing we're waiting for. And whether that thing is a spouse, maybe you wanted to get married, or a child because you haven't been able to have a child, or a job because your job disappeared two months ago, or um, a new home, a certain status, a trip, a graduation, whatever it is, if God blesses you with something that you've been waiting for, worship the provider, not his provision. That's what Hannah tells us. She keeps her eyes on God and God only. Think of the weight of what she did. She left the child she begged for at the temple when he was a wee little toddler and went home. She worshiped God, and her prayer is a beautiful moment. You remember I said, like, Hannah would have to do this difficult thing. This is the difficult thing, worshiping God and leaving all the blessings and all the extras of life behind, even that child, and giving it to God. That's what Hannah teaches us. Hannah would need the strength that she grew in the waiting to do the difficult things she had to do in the fulfillment. When Samuel was there, when she knew the smell of his breath, the sound of his voice, you know, like as a parent, you can tell which kid's walking through the house by the sound of their footsteps. She knew that little boy. It would be brutal to have to take him, but maybe it wasn't because it was an act of worship to God. Yes, it was hard. Yes, she would weep. Yes, she would be grieved, but she wasn't lost because she worshiped God, not the provision God gave. The last line of Hannah's prayer is this beautiful thing that takes place. It's actually a messianic promise, a promise of the Messiah. But it's even a little bit of a, for, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, it's even a little bit of a forerunner to that because it says in verse 10, the most high will thunder from heaven, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to the king and exalt the horn of his anointed. All right. To us, that makes perfect sense, because that's in history. But Samuel and Hannah lived in the time of the judges. There was no king in Israel. This is a messianic promise, saying that God will give strength to the king. And who would that king be? Remember King David, the great king of the Old Testament? The one who is... Um, King David is the heart, the beginning point of the messianic promise that out of the line of David, God would raise up a savior, a Messiah who would come and save the world. A prophecy about it. Right here in Hannah's prayer, the family of David comes on the scene. They don't even know it yet. 
They didn't even know it, but God is saying he will strengthen the king, and God will bring through that king a Messiah, the king of kings, who will redeem all things. And his anointed one, the Greek term for anointed one is the Christ. I mean, how awesome is this? We're seeing this played out right in front of us. Verse 11, then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy, Samuel, ministered to the Lord under Eli, the priest. She took the gift God gave her, and she laid it right back at the feet of God. She worshiped God in a very costly way. Friends, I want to tell you something. That truth remains. Jesus Christ called us, if we are going to be his disciples, he said, take up your cross and follow me. A life of costly worship. Not an easy life, not a prosperity gospel, not something that makes everything easier. What we get is not only eternal salvation, which is an amazing gift, we get the peace that passes understanding. And I believe Hannah had it. She had a peace with God that was beyond her understanding. She worshiped God in a costly way. She laid her life, and if you're a mom, you know this, your kids are your life. They're what you serve and care for. She laid her life before God and walked away. She worshiped God in a costly way. Church, we are called to that kind of faith, to that kind of strength. It's an amazing gift to have a story like Hannah in our modern context because when we look at it right now, we see what God did through that promise. We can see the fruit of the line of David. We are people who live under the name of Christ as Christians. Why? Because someone was faithful and gave up and worshiped God in costly ways. My question to us as a church is, will we do the costly thing? Will we love God and worship him even if it costs us all the luxuries? We've seen in the past few months how quickly this world can change. And God remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. I invite you, connect yourself to him and worship God and give back to him all that is his. Let your life be like Hannah's. Let your life be like Hannah's, a life that declares the messianic promise of who Jesus Christ is and the accomplished work he's done. She, she in her faithful living gave us a glimpse ahead that even she probably didn't understand when she prayed. When she prayed it, she probably thought, I wonder what that was about, that he will give strength to the king. I mean, she prayed it out loud. But God knew. God knew. And God, he's in the waiting. He's in the waiting. Worship God with all that you are. Pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for who you are. For the church gathered, now sent, and free in this world to share the gospel. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit that we could have just a portion of the courage and strength and tenacity that Hannah had. Thank you for a matriarch of the faith like this who, who led in, in the most costly ways. And because of her strength and faithfulness and love to you, we stand as beneficiaries to the faith. So thank you, God, for her. Strengthen us to live lives that are dependent 
on worshiping you. Thank you for all the blessings. But God, if any blessing gets in between us and you, I pray that you would take it away and never let it return. Thank you that we get to worship you, Lord Jesus Christ. You, Lord Jesus, you alone are enough. And we declare it even as Hannah did in her actions. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, would you join me as we sing together? Your waiting is purposeful. It's worth the wait. No matter what you do, God is invested and involved in your future. Will you allow him to build that strength like he did in Hannah in your waiting for the next obedience? Everything he gives is full of purpose, even the waiting. Trust him. Trust and know that it's worth the wait. And be brave as you wait on God to call you into your next obedience. One thing at the end of this service that's really cool is um, there's a video celebrating our seniors. Until we can gather them up on stage in their caps and gowns and send them out correctly, we just wanted to show you some of our seniors and let you know what they're up to and celebrate them a little. This is the appetizer till we really get to celebrate. So check this video out after the benediction. You get to see our seniors and see what's going on in their future and in their lives right now. Uh, happy Mother's Day. Thank you for joining us today and receive this benediction as we go. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for joining us. Check out these senior videos. Friends, what a great day to be the people of God.